0: What is up, y'all, and welcome back to Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. I'm your host, Nico Baraza. I took about a month off. I just, you know, need breaks periodically. Um, I am in my sixth class in a graduate program in Master of Science of Clinical Mental Health Counseling, so that's been a ton of effort. I'm still working with clients on a daily basis, uh, full time as well, too. So I just need a month off to get some more, uh, get some more guests in order, get some more topics to talk about. And I know a lot of you've been reaching out. Like, when's the next episode? But here we are, super excited to get back into it. And before I get into today's guest, which I'm sure you all are familiar with, just want to remind everyone I'm still working with couples and individuals in one-on-one sessions, I'm currently offering a discount. If you buy a four pack, you get ten percent off. Um, that's a that's a ongoing thing. So that goes throughout the year. I know I just ran a sale in May, and I'll probably do about two sales a year, I like a bigger sale for for package. But if you want to start working with me, um, if you think it's a good fit, if you if you like the content I'm putting out, um, I always offer a fifteen minute free Zoom consultation to where you can ask questions, get to know me, we can talk about sort of my my processes when I'm working with clients, and talk about your background and what you're looking to accomplish and what you're currently dealing with. Um, but I absolutely love working with people. And so that's why I'm getting this second master's, although I don't intend on operating under the um, guise of being a licensed therapist in the state I'm in because I really enjoy working with people all over this country, all over the world. About 50% of my clients actually don't even live in the United States, live all over the place. Um, so if you if you don't live here, don't worry. Uh, shoot shoot me an email through the contact form at www.nicobaraza.com. Also, I have some new gear for the podcast. If you want to rep some Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul t-shirts, um, hoodies, uh, tanks, you know, I have some, some tumblers, some water bottles, uh, you just go to my website again, www.nicobaraza.com and click over to store and you can shop on there, um, it's all really affordable stuff, high quality, sustainably sourced. And, uh, if you get something, please take a photo and tag me on Instagram at that boy. Love when you guys share uh, the gear. It just, um, it's just a treat when I see people all over the world in a starve the ego, feed the soul t-shirt. And uh, just thinking about, you know, this little podcast that I started in March of 2021 and, and now look where we are, you know, been consistently in the top 5% on Spotify and Apple, um, for the, like the relationship or self-help, um, category. So just absolutely blessed that you all are, are interested in supporting the show. And that's just an easy, cheap way to give back. Um, I get a little kickback obviously on some of those sales and I just put it right back into the podcast. Since again, this is a pro bono show. I'm haven't ran any ads or anything like that. Um, so yeah, if you want to, if you want to buy some gear, we'd much appreciate that. And, um, what else what else what else uh okay so people coming up on the show so so this week's guest before i get into her i have uh mr john kim the angry therapist coming on the show next week so please stay tuned for that and some other incredible well-known guests coming on as well too but this week's guest it's her second time on the show and she still has the most listened to episode on this podcast by far, we're talking like quadruple numbers here, quadrupling the, the second place episode. Not that it's a competition. It's not every, every, every guest has been absolutely incredible, but Jillian Tarecki is obviously a voice that people really seek out and want to listen to. And so when I posted on Instagram a couple of weeks ago about any, any guest recommendations that you guys wanted to you know, wanted to, wanted to have on the show, like just, just asking, you know, followers out there, uh, you know, anyone I haven't had that you'd like to, like to hear a lot of people were like, get Jillian back on. Like, we love that episode, get Jillian back on. And so I'm very grateful that Jillian agreed wholeheartedly to come back on the show and, and, and have another hour of, of talking about a lot of, a lot of things in modern relationships and 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 in ourselves, and so, uh, you know, in this episode, we really kind of go into how to decide whether to stay or go in a relationship. Um, you know, really getting into some deep self-examining around accountability and responsibility in a relationship. We talk a little bit about polyamory, polyamory, and and uh, E and M relationships, and 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 you know if we think those are healthy, if we think those are warranted, like where we think those actually originate from in the individual processing of trauma. Uh, we talk about ownership, attachment, control in relationships, and the many reasons why people stay in dysfunctional relationships and leave healthy ones. Um, we talk about addiction as well too, about addictive behavior patterns. And ultimately, a lot of this stuff that we talk about is a sort of circling back to stress response and pattern stress response, whether that be a healthy or an unhealthy Way to cope. Um, you know, I have so much respect for Jillian. I really love so much of the stuff she puts out there. And um, we get into this in the relationship, but, or sorry, in the relationship, in the conversation. I'm totally thinking so much about relationships. I'm just like throwing out the word relationship here. We get into this in the conversation uh, where, you know, she has this quote that she posted on Instagram a couple months ago that I absolutely loved. And I, I shared it a couple times. It's, if you are a giver, find another giver to love. I, I love that idea. Um, but I do want to add to that and say that it is worth your while to invest in actually becoming a giver, a giver to yourself and a giver to others, to be in service to others, not just living a self-infatuated, hyper-individualized life where you only care about your wants and needs, but how are you helping others as well too, right? That's a great way to practice being healthy in a relationship. And of course, when we meet someone that is also embodying that path, well, then we can build from there. Right. That's, that's a really beautiful thing to have happen. Um, but I really appreciate Jillian coming back on the show and I'm I'm happy to be back with y'all. Uh, I'm so excited to start recording episodes again. Um, it's, uh, had to dust the cobwebs off here in the studio. Um, and just excited, excited to, to launch some solo episodes too. I, I know I said I was going to launch one a couple of weeks ago, but I just got tied up with schoolwork. So we are back now and I promise I won't let you down. It'll be every Monday from now on until, until the next break. And who knows when I'll, when I'll need that, but um, you know, it's good to, it's good to practice self-care. So I'm trying to to follow my own advice here. And you know, when I needed to take time off, I will, but thank you all for sticking with me and being patient. Uh, again, this is a self-produced episode. I don't have any, any producers. I don't have any audio engineers doing it. I do everything myself. I record it in the studio. I edit it post-production, write the copy, cut the videos, post it on social media, doing all of it here. Um, so obviously always appreciate your engagement. And, uh, as always, if you haven't left a five-star written review on Apple, and spotify because spotify does reviews now Um, if you haven't left the show a review please go leave a five-star written review on both Um, i don't think you can write on spotify but do a five-star written one on apple and leave a review on spotify it helps the show just go higher on the charts and therefore more people can see it nationally internationally and that's a free way to immediately give back to the show, even if you can't contribute monetarily. Um, the show also accepts donations. If that's something you're interested in, you can go to www.nicobarraza.com and click on the donate tab if you want to contribute you know, a one-time or a monthly donation for the show. I would greatly appreciate that. Again, pro bono show and it, it, anything helps. Um, so without further ado, y'all, welcome back to Starve the Ego Feed the Soul and this week's guest... Miss Jillian Tarecki. Miss Jillian Tarecki, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It is wonderful to have you again. Uh, the response from your first episode was incredible. Like I've already shared with you. Probably quadruple the um the amount of listens. You're the number one episode still. People still send me DMs about that episode. Uh, they absolutely love it. And when I posted a couple weeks ago, like, yeah, who, who do you want on the show? So many people replied. Get Jillian back on the show. Have another conversation. Um. So thank you so much, my friend, for coming back on. I'm I'm excited to talk to you. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure.
0: Wonderful. And if if there's like thunder, everyone, uh, I'm currently in the middle of a monsoon here in oh, Northern yeah. Arizona. So hopefully, I don't know if you can hear it on your end, but hopefully no, it doesn't get too loud. Okay, no. cool. The mic's doing its job then. Well, <laughs> we spoke a little bit about, you know, what we wanted to talk about today, you know, off air and, and hopefully we can just get on this. Uh, w- sometimes, you know, when I sub when I s- sort of like post questions out, you know, on Instagram or on TikTok, there, there are themes that come back, right? Like most, a lot of people have a certain question or or there's a theme between questions. And I'm sure you, you see this a lot, right? In the work you do, yeah. that's very similar. And one of the themes I get so many times, and honestly, this is something I've struggled with in, in my um, sort of relational history as well too, is how to decide whether to stay or to go in a relationship right? And I know there's so much nuance to this depending on what's going on in the relationship, what's going on with the each individual's involved. But I wanted to start here. You know, what are some guidelines for people that you work with, if you have any, about how to gauge whether a relationship is worth staying and continuing to work on or whether it might be time to separate?
1: Yeah. So yes, you're right. There is a lot of nuance, but I think that Before answering that question, I think it's worthwhile to um, examine and to just point out why so many people find themselves in a position where they even are considering leaving a relationship, like what actually causes a relationship to end. And of course, there are Mm -hmm. many different reasons why um, two people will split, divorce or break up, but- there's there's a, a really common reason, and it's not a lack of love. It's very rare that two people who are in a committed relationship will end up, or partnership, marriage, whatever you want to call it, will end up splitting because they don't love each other anymore. It's really like it's rare, relationships rarely end because of a lack of love. Um, they often end because of a lack of connection. And when there's a a consistent and persistent over months and years lack of connection, what happens is that their passion for each other, you know, whether you could say that that's sexual passion, but I'm not even speaking just that, but I'm speaking about just attraction in general, the the passion to to want to really be with the other person. You know, try to make them happier. Um, Just they're, 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 um, they lose the motivation to make the relationship work because they don't feel connected anymore. So you'll see, and I've seen it countless times and I've experienced it too, where it's like, but I still love this person, but they don't feel connected. And I think that. You know, before, you know, you, it's so difficult to answer the question, like when someone should stay or go without first addressing, well, why don't you feel connected to each other anymore? What's mm-hmm. actually happened? Um, and oftentimes. And I really do mean often it is due to mismanaged stress mm-hmm. it's that people Life is very hard, can be very hard, and we deal with um, stress and and stuff that's going on in our lives, and, you know, the the last couple years certainly didn't help. It actually hurt, and um, people have a tremendous amount of personal stress. They don't know how to deal with it, and so they stop communicating with their partner or they're checked out they're completely checked out of their own lives and they're checked out from their own bodies and that people then start to not, they start to check out from each other and from the relationship. So it's just, I think that that's an important thing to to talk about. I mean, it's very, very common for, this is just an example for someone you're, if you're with someone for a long time, or even not that long, but if you're really in it with someone, you are going to see your significant other face big problems in their life. Mm-hmm. You just are, you know, and if you're with someone for a long enough time, you're going to see them face really big problems, like big problems in, wrapped in, in, in losses, you know, the loss of a parent, or the loss of someone important to them. And, What will happen is that sometimes there'll be a disconnect in that. There'll be uh, maybe one person doesn't feel like they're supported in the way that they need to be supported. Maybe uh, a really common scenario is that someone um, in the relationship has a really big problem. You know, it's a big problem to them. And the problem actually becomes bigger and more important And the focal point of that person's energy. And it becomes more important than their spouse or their partner. It becomes more important than the relationship. And so some people will often describe being in a relate feeling like they're in a relation, they're in a relationship, but they're competing with their partner's problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Or they, you know, they, they, they get triggered into becoming a fixer. You know, you don't have to pathologize the fixer. It's like. You you could actually not be a fixer, you know. That could not have been. That could be not how you were raised or conditioned. But then you love someone, and they have a huge problem that they're not dealing with or dealing with in the way that they need to be dealing with it. And then person becomes a fix. They they want to fix the problem because they just want their freaking partner back. Right. They feel robbed of that. So I'm I'm just offering these examples because. I want people who are in that very difficult position of trying to decide of whether or not they should stay or go to consider why they're in this position to begin with. Where is there, where has there been a loss of connection? Because people don't leave their relationships when they love, when they feel safe, when they feel important and when they feel attracted, no one is considering leaving their relationship when those things are, are there. So how do you feel unsafe? How do you feel unconnected, disconnected? How do you feel not important? You know, how do you feel like where, how has that impacted attraction and passion? Mm -hmm. So, My very long answer to that question, which is a complicated question, is to first really figure out where this is all, like why you're in this position to begin with. Right. Um, Because no one can actually give you that answer. And Mm -hmm. why are you in this position to begin with? And are you willing to get help for it? Mm
0: -hmm. Yep.
1: What is at stake? Do you have children? Are there financial matters that are at stake? You know, what, is it worth it to you to figure this out? Do you love this person enough? Do you love the relationship enough to really try to figure this out? Mm -hmm. And so these are, this is sort of the self-analysis or the self-examination and exploration that I believe needs to take place first, that will eventually help you make that decision. Now, mm. I will just throw in if there's abuse of any kind, like get out, you know, that's, yeah. I'm hoping that's obvious. But right. to those, to those listeners who maybe it's not that obvious, that that would be the obvious thing yeah. for me to say. Um. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, yeah.
0: And, and I'd say to add to the abusive thing is, is oftentimes abuse is a like symptom of unresolved um, stress, you know, just to go back to your initial point, right? And it's mm-hmm. a, on the individual thing versus the relationship thing, but obviously affects the relationships, yeah. you know, across the board. And so we can always root it back, some sort of behavior to, to something that has not been processed, right? That has not been met, that has not been understood. And I think that, you know, to, to harp on what you're saying, Jillian, like, um, you know, working with my clients, one of the key indicators to infidelity or cheating occurring is disconnection. Really, like oftentimes there is a disconnection. It's not because a person isn't like attracted to their partner anymore it's not because they don't love them but it's because they there's like not a desire there there's not necessarily a polarity there's not um a conscious effort to engage in you know new sexual activities together or or sort of build more intimacy because stuff gets boring after a while no matter who, what who we're with right it's just kind yes. of human nature you know um i use this like you know sort of alliteration of like uh the you know like the ice cream, you know, being like you, you like, you like love this ice cream for your whole life. But if you eat it every day, you're probably going to get sick of it. Right. And so obviously that's like, you know, dumbing down what relationships mean. But if you just think of it at a base level, you have to put in energy, like add some sprinkles, do some different things. Right. And that, that can be on a sexual level. It can be on an emotional level. It can be on a mental, physical level, all these different things. But I think, you know, a lot of folks ask, you know, well, if I'm doing all these things, right, but stuff still isn't improving, you know, you know, where is the, the line? And like you said, it's an individual line, but I think, and I'd love your take on this. What I tend to tell people is, you know, are you both meeting the energy that's being put into the relationship Mm -hmm. in times of need? Right. Because, uh, you know, often there's one person that is really gung ho about right. making it work and maybe they're the overgiver or the fixer right and then there's one person that's sort of underperforming or or sort of undermeeting and and not not to put all the blame on that because there's a certain there's a certain you know dance that happens when someone sort of overgives right or overcorrects it doesn't allow space for someone to step in to their own role but i think that dynamic is is quite common in, in modern right. relationships right and and in that sort of dynamic If two people, you know, can't seem to find balance and let's say they've, they've been through a lot of work together and it's not working out. I still think people really struggle to let go, you know, because let's say they've been together 10 to 15 years or more. There's, there's a lot to be, to be left on the table, right? If you let go of something that long. And so so that's pretty much, you know, the question I get asked a lot is like, well, I've been in a relationship with this person for years and I've just tried everything and it seems to not be getting better. But I think you brought up a really good point. It's that you have to look at what changed, right? Did you change? Did they change? Like what what changed? Because obviously when you initially fell in love and started to date and get into a relationship, things were probably going okay, I, I assume, mm-hmm. you know, and then it got harder, which is common, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, So I, but I appreciate that point because. You know, it it doesn't necessarily tell people what to do, but it tells people to look at why the disconnect is present in the first place, which I think would probably lead you to a better answer given your like meaning like collective you, your unique situation.
1: Yeah. It's so important because oftentimes, and you brought up infidelity, you know, oftentimes that is a symptom of someone feeling disconnected from themselves not right. feeling alive in themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they, they use, you know, the, the, the other person or the affair as a way to bring back, you know, energy that they feel is lost, not just in, they might th- justify it, that it's lost in the relationship. And it might very well be. But oftentimes what you'll see is that it's something that's lost within. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and then they make the, the, uh, okay the unfortunate decision to seek it out in in someone else so i really always urge people to go within and to figure out you know where is there the loss of connection where do you feel really insignificant to your partner um where have you where have you struggled to be a good partner because i think that people when they're making this decision um fail to recognize that it's not just about whether or not your needs are being met it's like are you meeting their needs like so there's a lot to consider and like i said depending on how important this relationship has been to you you know then it makes it a bigger decision if it's not been a long time then you know maybe it's not such a big deal i think that um but, you know, I think if you have been committed, it has been important. And unfortunately, a lot of people do put in the work and go get help, but they don't get the right help. Um, but ultimately, it has to be that intuitive decision of like, you know, I've done if it's if you have gotten to the point where you've done that level of self-examination, you let's say you have a really clear insight into why things are not the way that you need them to be in a relationship. If there's just insight into that, some self-awareness. And, you know, you may just have to make the call that, like, this was a wonderful thing for a period of time, but it's expired and I have to move Mm -hmm. on. But I certainly can't tell someone when that is. But I can definitely point out where their blind spots are, If you know. Right. So that they can actually make that decision from a place of, of real self awareness,
0: right? That makes sense to me. Do you think that the you know especially in twenty twenty two in sort of modern relationship culture because our our our, relation, our de- definition of relationships are, is evolving, yeah. and you know I I find that there's more people exploring open poly relationships, ethically non monogamous relationships, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that sometimes that can be just a response for sort of avoiding the work in a monogamous relationship, or do you think that, you know, there are people that certainly can have healthier relationships, you know, being open, being poly, being in a non-monogamous relationship?
1: Yeah. I I mean, personally, I don't really want to go down this route too deeply Totally. Um, just because I it's, 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 (sighs) it's, Everyone, you know, I haven't it's seen it. It's a tough work. thing. It's a tough <laughs> thing.
0: I know. It's a and, tough thing to advise and, and, on for sure.
1: You know, I haven't seen, I personally have not seen it work. That does not mean that it doesn't for some people. Yeah. Um. I think that I'll just say that I believe that there are many different ways to have a relationship. And there are some people, and I think everyone has the right to have the relationship that they want to have as long as mm-hmm. it's consensual, yeah, um, but <laughs> I'm kind of avoiding this topic a little bit totally I totally, you have, I, I totally yeah. get it. it it's it's yeah. something
0: you know that I, I asked just because it 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 somewhat relates to our triggered response as a culture. To mm-hmm. monogamous relationships not working out, meaning that we, we've been in so many dysfunctional monogamous relationships or we were raised around a, monogamy, a monogamous, a monogamy, monogamous relationship, excuse me, that was dysfunctional. And yeah. therefore, sort of, it, it's like, sometimes I view it and not all the time for all you folks out there that are in healthy relationships that are polyamorous, but if people are denying doing the work, um, and instead just sort of are like, well, I'll just, I'll just have an open relationship. Sometimes th- there, there can be a bit of avoidance in that. Um, yeah. you know and, and yeah. not all the time but you know I've worked with people uh, as clients that are in poly or ethnically non-monogamous relationships and a lot of the times I gotta, I gotta be honest like they'll go back to monogamy at some point not everybody mm-hmm. just because of, of how exhausting it seems to have to have <laughs> little bits of fires to put out versus just one I mean, to focus on it
1: seemed, I mean a relationship is labor intensive enough as it is to then bring it into right. poly to, it feels totally exhausting to me Um, What I will say is this, is that, you know, monogamy is a choice. Yeah. It's not, you know, I I think that the debate, is it natural? Is it not natural? Is, is not, is not really the debate. It's a debate that's just going to go in circles. It's a choice to want to grow with one person at a time, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and, and to, and to stick it out and to learn, you know, I think at some point. You'll come to a place in your life where you say, okay, and this ties into, do I stay in the relationship or do I leave? Like, do I actually want to, um, do I actually want to transcend all the things that have kept me back in the past? And do I want to learn really how to love this person? You know, there's than a marriage or of or a, uh, a partnership that's comparable to that. You will have many marriages within one marriage. And I think that the people who I see, I've seen really beautiful things happen of, between two people who love each other very much, go through a patch where they feel very disconnected and then really put in, the work because they're so committed and then they come out the other side like stronger than ever. I mean, that does really, that really does happen. I'm not saying that has to be with every relationship. I mean, there are some relationships that are meant to be just short, you know, or not that long. They just really aren't. And, and it's, it's a, it's a deep it goes back to what i'm saying- what I wanted to say, or what I was saying is that it is it is so deeply, if you will spiritual, it's a spiritual process of do I feel like do I want to make the effort do i am I making a choice to stay with this so that I can evolve and learn? How to overcome all my fears and transcend, and learn how to love this imperfect person and let them love me. It's also a choice to be able to say, "I, my, I don't know. I can't put words to it, but I just know that I'm done here." Yeah. There's no right or wrong. It's a choice. And so, in terms of monogamy, non-monogamy. Um, the biggest problem that I've seen with that is I've gotten a lot of messages and worked with people, uh, women in particular, but there's been some men where they meet someone who they really, really are incredibly connected to. Like they want this person. They feel like this person is a quote unquote soulmate, but they want an open relationship with their poly. And then then this person tries to conform to that because they've told themselves if they don't, then they're not open-minded and then they're struggling. Uh And that to me is very sad. Um, You don't have to choose whatever relationship route you choose. It really has to be your choice and i just really would urge people not to get into that kind of relationship if that is not what you want don't try to talk yourself into it um
0: yeah
1: so yeah you know let me ask a follow-up it's a difficult one it's a difficult it's it's Uh, really, really a difficult one and yes i do think in some ways, it is a reaction to pain and all of and all of that. There's a uh, a great book by the author Neil Strauss, where he talks about the truth uh-huh. about relationships and his sort of journey through sex addiction and polyamory and all of that. And so that obviously shows the much darker side of it all, because really underneath right. it all is is his sex addiction. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's what I'll say about that.
0: I I got to read that because I think that a lot of times there is a, an an addictive pattern behavior underneath a lot of that even even speaking from my own experience like I've never been in a polyamorous relationship but in a lot of my 20s and I've said this on on the show before you know my drug of choice if you will to hide from my own pain or hide from my own growth was sex you okay. know and so I would just go you know and it would you know like in in a healthy in a healthy manner i would tell myself like oh it's just this is just sex like i'm you know it's consensual having fun with you know with with women and it wasn't until i just started doing my work on myself where i was like you know what the intent behind it was not really to expand my life it was it was more to hide from mm-hmm. things you know yeah and so i would just give my myself out to different people you know because focusing on one person well, the risk of getting hurt was quite higher Yes. You know, yes. Right.
1: So I think that this comes back then to the point of how intention is so important. And so whenever choice you make, like what is your intention behind that? Is it really, you know, things are really changing in modern love and relationship. So I think it's just about, you know, what is your intention? Are you are you exploring it? Because it's, you know, some people are just exploring it because I don't know, they're drawn to it somewhat in some way and they want to see if it actually works, you know, again, as long as it's consensual. And -hmm. what I mean by consensual is not only the obvious, but, but, you know, being true to yourself, that that's really what you Mm -hmm. want to do. Yeah. And a lot, you need a lot of communication. I mean, if you can't be in a polyamorous relationship and not make communication the most important foundational thing of the relationship. Like, you can't get away with
0: that. 100%. I, I think that's one of the things I I bring up when a client's like, you know, what we're considering or I'm considering, you know, being poly or, or trying out polyamory or, or ethical non-monogamy. And I'm like, how's your communication in a one-on-one relationship? You know, yeah. because if, if, it's, if you're struggling to communicate with one person, imagine adding two more or three more yeah. into that. It's going to be very confusing, right? So... The, the follow-up to that, Jillian, I'm sorry to drop that bomb on you. I was just curious. It popped <laughs> in my, my mind, you know? Yeah, totally U-turn. But I think, you know, if people reach the point where they're like, okay, it is healthy or it is the right choice to separate. I don't want to use the term healthy. What, like, how do we let go? You know, I think that that's, that's another question because a lot of times when, when we've decided that it is the right decision or or the sort of only decision, let's say, because, you know, people are done or one person is done, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that people struggle with a ton is is letting go, right? And and people always ask for a pill or a solution or like what do I do? And obviously it's a process, right? And it takes time. But it also, to go back to your word, it takes intentional time spent. Because if you just h- hope time's going to heal you who you're in for a you're in for a big surprise when yeah. you get into your next relationship, right? It has to be time well spent doing intentional things to actually heal. So with that said, how do we let go with intention?
1: Well, um, first, similarly to how I answered your first question, I just want to make a point about why it's so hard. You know, even if you make the decision to split with someone and it's your, let's say it's your decision and you know in your heart that it's the right decision, you're you're not just ending we're never ending a relationship with just the person For for many they're ending a relationship with an entire era of their lives right for some people it's a it's a chapter for some people it really is and it's an era so you are also breaking up with a dream you're also um You're breaking up with an identity, your own identity, as being someone who's either married or someone who's in partnership or the identity that you've that you had as being this particular person's partner. So there's a lot of um, deaths that happen as a result of certain breakups. And even if the breakup, even if it's not an entire era, like even if it's you've been with someone for just a few months, you're still breaking up with a dream of what that could have been, you know. So um, the letting go process is really a grieving process.
0: Amen. And
1: Amen. with anything that we're grieving, it's really important to feel your feelings. All of them. Um, and they, you know, be anything from sadness, depression, anger, denial, all of that, um, self pity, fear. And so part of the letting go is just really, uh, acknowledging those feelings, acknowledging the grief, um, you know, a lot of people will, and this is just a survival tactic. And I don't necessarily think this is such a bad idea. I mean, there is something to be said for distracting yourself with work, for example, to some degree. Because if, if mm-hmm. there are certain losses that are so huge, that if you were to feel it all at once, it would actually be too much for the nervous system, right? right. But then there, there are people who numb out and don't feel anything. So it's really about, it's this delicate balance of trying to feel your feelings, and the letting go, um, especially if it was a very significant relationship, just sort of processing it. Mm-hmm. I think so. It's really important to understand what your part was, and as well understand what their part was. Like when you can actually, over time, be able to say, be able to really own without blaming yourself. This is this is this was my contribution to the breakdown of this relationship, and this was theirs. Um, I think that's very, very important that come, that does come with time and processing. I think that if it is, uh, realistic, meaning there's no kids, there's no real like life enmeshment that going no contact, uh, for at least for a little while is incredibly impactful in a positive way. Um, understandably people will lots of times when there's like i said you know it's rarely because of a lack of love so lots of times where there is a lot of love and there's breaking up people will still it's like they're still in a relationship they're still checking in with each other they're still like it's that last piece that just needs to be severed and you can't force people into doing that but those are instances where you can, where like going no contact for a period of time, again, if, if you can, right? Yeah. So, so much healing can happen because if you're staying tethered, it's really, really hard to let go. Um, yeah. I also think that spending time with friends and having some fun, allowing yourself to have some joy Allowing yourself to um, laugh and smile still and to do things that's huge, huge for the letting go process. It's really Mm -hmm. huge because to spend too much time in the processing, too much time in the feeling of it, like you have to feel your feelings, you have to process. All these things are true. But if you spend all your time doing that, you're actually reinforcing the attachment. And I think right. that letting yourself kind of move into other spaces of your life and experience some joy and, 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 and doing new things is, is huge.
0: So you mentioned like, this is a delicate balance, right? Which I completely agree with. It's something mm-hmm. I say a lot too, of like healthy distractions, but also intentional time and space to experience your emotions and also have accountability for your roles, the healthy and the unhealthy in the relationship, right? So you can learn from them, right? And and grow in your next one. So if we break that down a little bit more and talk about healthy coping versus unhealthy coping, Mm -hmm. right? What is that? What is that balance look like in real time? You know, and I know it's hard because it's like, okay, Mondays I'm going to hang out with my friends and have a laugh. Tuesdays I'm going to sit with my feelings. (laughs) Not so much like that, but more of like, what should it really feel like as we create more space from, you know, let's say the day of the breakup, let's say we, we have limited contact or no contact, like what should it feel like as we move through this? So we know that we're like actually walking that balance and not mm-hmm. just fully distracting and avoiding anything and hopping into another relationship or not just fully ruminating and dragging ourselves down this sort of depressive hole. What does that balance feel like?
1: Um, well, I'll answer that from, from the perspective of, emotions first one would be are you are you feeling a range of emotions are you feeling joy as well as sadness are you able to have a laugh um are you are you just it's okay like anger can actually be for those who have Um, a, a propensity towards depression and being sad and going into that route when they, when they, and really having a hard time letting go, anger is very useful. Because it puts them into action. People who are always angry, sadness is very useful for them. So I think that um, being able, knowing, like, there's no perfect balance of anything in life. But I think that a good measure is is being able to say, like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm actually, I'm accessing different feelings. You know, some days it's like this, some days it's like that, and some days I can actually, I'm really, really sad. But hey. I watched this movie and it was funny and I was able to have a laugh and forget about my problems. What you really want to watch out for is drugs and alcohol and using using sex, drugs, alcohol, food, all of that to, or sh- shopping, all the sort of addictive, you know, there's an addict in, in all of us. And, you know, for some, it's really, really, really destructive and big. And for some, it's really small. So just really watching that that little addict in you doesn't um, take over.
0: I appreciate you bringing that up because yeah. a lot of people associate certain activities of being healthy and certain with mm-hmm. being unhealthy, right? So if we think about like, um, you know, let's say like a substance use disorder, well, it's pretty obvious that those are unhealthy, right? When when they become a substance use disorder, but let's yeah. take exercise, right? For a th- for for an example, right? A lot of people will be like, well, I'll just start, you know, working out a shit ton, right? And I'll go every day until I'm mm-hmm. exhausted and I'll look a lot better physically, but I often find with those folks, and speaking from my own experience from the pro athlete um, uh, outlook, you can, you can lose yourself entirely and might look physically fit on the outside, but be like emotionally devoid on the inside. Right. Because you have no, no time and space to feel your emotions. And I, and I think it's requisite to sit down alone, with no TV and no phone and no music, and Mm -hmm. listen to yourself. And I don't Mm -hmm. just mean like listen to the voice in your head that's telling you all these things. I mean like listen to your body. Like what is your body feeling? Like what do you actually miss about this person, right? Mm -hmm. What don't you miss, you know? Like what do you miss about yourself before them? What do you miss about yourself during them? You Mm -hmm. know, what changed? How did you contribute to that change, you know? And look at like sort of the pain that you took on and then the pain that you gave and try to understand you know this is just about learning those lessons but then within that we also have to sort of put that that hat down and like you said Jillian like go out and have and experience joy like seek joy one of the hardest things for me to well in the in the past I haven't been in a breakup recently was to find joyful moments in my sorrow you know and this brings up how to grieve really you know it's 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 easy to say, but then when you've lost, you know, you you said this so eloquently, it's like relationships are a voluntary death, right? It's the same process um, as if you were to lose someone's physical body, right? Even a family member, Mm -hmm. uh, a child, a brother, sister is like, you spend enough time with this person and they choose to leave you or you choose to leave them. That is a huge grieving process, right? And And it's sometimes
1: harder because they're still alive and you know they're still alive and yet you're grieving them and it's very confusing,
0: it's harder because there's a choice. Like there's a choice yes. in that death versus yes. in other death there's usually not, right? Yes, um, yes. yes, Usually. Yes. And, and I think yeah. that that is, that does make it harder, especially on the brain when we're like, well, we're not good enough. Why is this person not choosing me? Or they're not good enough for me. I'm not choosing them, right? And there's, a, there's certainly a lot of guilt and shame that's associated with that. And I think a lot of times that guilt and shame prevents people from looking at their role in the dysfunction or their role in the disconnection, absolutely. you know? Absolutely, and, absolutely. And that, That is where I think the focus should be because the focus, if the focus is on, oh, I lost this person, I think sometimes it can shroud the ability for us to become better, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that in every loss in life is your ability to become better. Because yes. I think that if you keep gaining, let's see, like I'm always on the positive side, it's hard to become better because you actually need loss to learn. Like any sort of human being has never learned a single thing from not making mistakes. It just doesn't work like that. You have to make a mistake to, to correct things, right? Yes. It's like, yes. it's like whoever figured out fire was hot, whatever human, I'm sorry for that guy or girl, but like they had to touch it. You know, they mm-hmm. were like, Hey, like caveman, like Steve, go touch that thing, you know, yes. and he touched it and his hand burnt off and everyone's like, All right, no one do that. <laughs> no one do that. You know, we, we witnessed it, right? And it's the same thing with relationships. Unfortunately, we don't get firsthand looks into a lot of relationships. So we experience them through the firsthand perspective, right? When we fall in love, we, we have our parents love sometimes to fall back on. We see what, how they loved or our grandparents or other people. But a lot of times those relationships had a ton of dysfunction, right? And so we get into modern relationships and no one really tells us how do we utilize the breakup process. How do we utilize divorce to grow and to heal? And you're kind of providing that framework being like, look, it is a delicate balance, right? And you're never going to be perfectly balanced. It's not what we're striving for here, but we're striving for the feeling of like, yes, we are separating, but I can see both the healthy and unhealthy parts from the relationship. I'm taking accountability for mine. And that's where my work should focus on because a lot of times, and I know you are probably agree with this, is people, when they separate, they'll immediately start victimizing and blaming the other person. They'll be like, well, I was dating a narcissist. This person's awful. They're horrible at mm-hmm. X, Y, and yeah. Z. And and sometimes that might not be untrue, but a lot of times it's a, a response based, I'm in pain. So therefore, yeah. I'm going to victimize myself so I can take that pain and put it over there on that, on that other thing that I'm sort of yeah. focusing on yes. instead of understanding it.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, there's, there's so many, yeah, so much to unpack here that you said, but there, it's also, it's a process. I mean, in the beginning, there's, there's a lot of heightened emotion, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll be in the throes of that heightened emotion, which looks a lot like blaming them or blaming yourself. And yes, mm-hmm. but you do want to move out of that stage as quickly as possible so that you can do the self-reflective work that's necessary in order to grow mm-hmm. from this experience. Um, and, and to really see it as a lesson and, um, and that's, and that's very, very important. You, you mentioned something about movement and it made me think of something, which is that, yeah, I, we all have avoidant patterns when it comes to Mm -hmm. pain, you know, like we all have these patterns that we, that we practice unconsciously when, when things become, when there's a lot of suffering. Mm -hmm. And so I always sort of ask people, this was something, one of the things that I did in my heartbreak course, like for people to examine, how do you manage your suffering just in general in life? What's the thing that you do to avoid feeling too much pain? Is it overexercising? Is it putting, you know, is it, is it, is it eating? Is it um, having a bunch of sex with people? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it, you know, watching a lot of TV, like just so that you can bring that awareness to it because, what happens is that when there's a breakup, it's it can be so emotionally catastrophic that we go temporarily. It's not unusual at all to experience a little bit of temporary insanity after uh-huh. certain breakups. Like you're like, what the fuck just happened? And then you feel so crazy. And one minute you're here and the next minute you're there. And so you don't, It's it's, I want to just, It's, it's really normal to feel somewhat mentally ill after certain breakups and, um, or to feel like you don't have the mental resilience to get through it. Mm -hmm. And so first there has to just to be like, at first allow yourself to be a victim, but don't, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. Um, But, you know, as someone who has been dedicated to movement pretty much my whole life, you know, when I was younger, it was sports, particularly swimming. And then it became um, dancing, but dancing like in the clubs, but I was really into it. (laughs) And then it became yoga. So I'm, you know, I'm all for people using movement, not in the way like you're a pro athlete and you can see like you can get like like, like tunnel vision and just put all your energy into that as to avoid your pain. But using movement to move through your pain is so important. And that's where, you know, maybe it's not about like lifting weights. Maybe it's about mm-hmm. dancing. Maybe it's about stretching. Maybe it's about breath work. So I do think that Regardless of where you're, where, how athletic you are and what your athletic background is to figure out a way to use very specific movement to help you move through the pain or to help Mm. the pain move through your body is very, very important.
0: Yeah, most definitely. You, you brought up a handful of like sort of behavioral addictions that we use to kind of supplement dealing with shit. Right. And one of the ones I wanted to add specifically from the male perspective is pornography. You know, yes. I know speaking from my, from my own usage, like it's, it, you know, I, I start to ask myself, like, when did I use? Right. And usually it was when I felt unloved, when I felt alone, when I felt overstressed, when I mm. felt, um, like I wasn't connected. You know, whether mm-hmm. I was in a relationship or out of relationship, when I felt yeah. um, that I wasn't desired, right? Mm-hmm. Those things, and I'm speaking this from what I felt, but it's I'm not blaming on the other person. I'm saying like I need to check in internally. And yeah. a lot of my male clients, and I think women and men, I'm generalizing here, Women,
1: women do it too, but it's yeah.
0: it's different. It's different, right? Some yeah. women are, are, I feel like are more in like that masculine space, but I feel like men usually have a higher likelihood of becoming addicted if they mm-hmm. become habitual users, right? Not, not, mm-hmm. not the women, don't, women don't experience it, but I just think the, the male brain with testosterone, it's just a little bit different for how it responds. Specifically. Women do get
1: addicted, but not nearly at the right. same rate.
0: Yeah. Not nearly at the same rate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that it's really detrimental to to recovery, to uh, healing, to building intimacy in a new relationship, to even build self intimacy. A lot of times the biggest response after using porn, even if you're aware and you're like, well, I'm going through a breakup. I'm just really sad is that there's a shame and guilt associated with it. I feel bad for doing this. I feel worse. I feel less of a man, less of a human being. And that is, that is like my main thing. It's like, if you're feeling that way, you need to, you need to supplement with something else. Right. And I just got done with a substance use disorder class in the, in the therapy program. I'm I'm studying in this uh, master's program and one of the key things and it's the same across the board whether it's like a, a hard drug that you're trying to break addiction for or a behavioral addiction like like porn or sex right is to create some space and some understanding from like why are you doing this every time right like mm-hmm. why why do you feel like you have to do this well uh, for me and for most people I think it's a aversion to pain it's an aversion to um having to sit with it right because sometimes it can be overwhelming you know and and as soon as i started to view it like that well immediately i was like this this is hurting me right this is Mm -hmm. i'm I'm basically inflicting i'm self-sabotaging my life because i don't feel good enough to live it you know Mm -hmm. um and and again i'm not against pornography at all just to let everyone know there but i think it's 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 something that how you use it right if -hmm. it's unhealthy for you and you realize that and you feel like the shame and guilt around it you know why is that there you know mm-hmm. is it is it because of sexual repression or is it because you're just trying to avoid your stuff and i know for me like i didn't feel sexually repressed at all but i would go to that as a way to cope it was a, i would say an unhealthy yeah. coping tool right
1: well that's um, that's what all addictions are it's it's a way to right. cope with feelings that feel too much to be able to handle it's just, i mean it's escapism absolutely right. um and there was something else that you said but I guess it'll come back to me. Oh, yeah. It's interesting that you brought up, you said, from the male perspective, like a lot of shame. I think that one thing that a lot of people who date men, but particularly women, since they are not men who date yeah. men, that they don't understand. And I love your take on this is that um, a lot? oftentimes men will feel immense shame for hurting their partner, for hurting yeah. them. And then they may not, you know, then they may not own up to that. They may not apologize for that. And then the woman who was in a relationship with him feels like he doesn't care. You know, he hasn't owned up to it. There's no accountability. You know, I was nothing to him. And and meanwhile, that person who she is talking about is actually, you know, maybe... (laughs) like jerking off to porn every five minutes yeah. because he feels so much shame. I'm not, you know, no. I'm just using that as just a sort of strong example, but yeah, sure. I think that men, is it true that men, my experience with the men that I've worked with, that they feel a tremendous yeah. amount of shame for hurting the person. And okay. instead of owning up to it, apologizing for it, you um, s- Seeing things clearly, yes, I hurt them, but I was also hurt too. All of that. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time really processing that.
0: I would agree. Uh, I honestly find that across all genders, like I feel like there's a lot of women that have a hard time apologizing for hurting a man, you know, because oh, yes. I think it, it puts them in the in the status of that they're the they're the sort of abuser rather than the abusee. But from mm-hmm. the male perspective, yes, I would say uh, our culture, at least Western culture, I think it's probably most cultures with the masculine, it is very... Um, It's very dismissive to a man being able to step into a a space enough to say, um, admit they're wrong because it's Mm -hmm. it's viewed as like being less of a man if you don't have your shit squared away, right? And I think because of that, at a very young age, men are taught to avoid and, um, you know, pursue the unhealthy side of stoicism and sort of, you know, uh, act like, you know, it's fine, you know, and then go off and use a bunch of porn or go off and sleep with a bunch of prostitutes or whatever. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think that, or, or have an affair or cheat or something like that. I think that there's some similarities in the genders here, right? As far as avoidance. But I think that um, from, from what I have heard and even my own personal experience, let's say a man does admit they're wrong in, let's say a heterosexual relationship and there's not safe space. I mean, like they admit they're wrong, but they're going to consistently get shot on for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of uses a knife to their throat over time, just like anyone, whether it's a man or a woman that that will beat you down enough to where you do become numb, you know? Yes. And I think it's the job of both people in the relationship to provide a sense of safety when someone else is in the process of owning their shit. You know, if someone's coming to me and app- even if I'm really hurt. I have to be able to hold some space because they're trying to apologize to me. And so if they if they're opening and I'm just oh they're open. So I, I attack them because yeah, of it, I am I am no better than what they initially did to hurt me. But oftentimes mm-hmm. we do that, right? We're so hurt that boom, yes. we just inflict pain back because we have to get equal. And mm-hmm. as you said, we're on the same team. Even if we've been hurt, if you still want the relationship, if you're still choosing it, you have to allow someone to step into a safe space to apologize. Because if they can't, and they can sense that, they probably won't even ever step Try. into it.
1: Yeah. Yeah relationships are you know they can be very tricky but i i I, you said something about being on the same team and that's really what it what it boils down to um is about being on the same team but it's it's Mm -hmm. very when feelings are involved and hurt is involved and the stories that we create in our head about the other person you know it become we 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 it's almost like we become possessed and we're no longer seeing the person that we love in front of us. We're seeing this monster really that we projected onto them. So it can be very, very tricky.
0: And one of the first, you know, questions that a lot of couples therapists in in couple sessions ask when people are in crisis is what do you love about him? What do you love about her? Yes. Right? What do you love about them? Yes. You know, like tell me what, like stop, stop telling what, 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 how much they're an asshole or they don't listen or they don't, they don't put the dishes away. Like, why did you love this person? Why did you fall in love with them? You know, because if you, if you can't still focus on that and you're only focused on the negative things, that is what your relationship will embody. Right. And I'm not saying don't, don't focus on problems. Of course, you have to bring those into light. But there's also a lot to be grateful for in someone choosing to wake up next to you every day. Absolutely. That is a gift. Yes. Right absolute gift
1: a a thing that i do um i work more with individuals now than i do with couples but i worked with couples for a few years and a lot of them um was even before i asked what do you love about this person is just to ask you know how they first met so that there it's not an intellectual process but you're Mm -hmm. getting them you are using their their memory as a way to um in evoke a certain state. So they are remembering now they're like together. And it's because every couple comes into an office, or you know, the zoom room <laughs> with a story of why things are not working. And mm-hmm. they feel, and what happens is that usually they're very divorced from the actual origin story of why they are even together. And so to get them to kind of connect to that is huge. Because people forget the love a lot. Mm -hmm. They forget the love and they do focus on the problems a lot because they just, they feel hopeless and helpless and they want to fix it.
0: Right. And you're sort of alluding to like a process in clinical counseling called narrative building, which is like, basically like you are writing the story as we're sitting here and the past hour has been you just saying how much you dislike what this person is doing, which I totally understand why are you still with them? Like, what do you still like about them? How did Mm -hmm. you fall in love? That's a beautiful question. Like, how did you first meet? You know, because even if I think of like, wow, if a a couples counselor asked me that, you know, when I was in my last relationship, that would have been kind of a beautiful thing to talk about Mm -hmm. in the midst of trying to parcel together how we recover from the pain we caused each other. Yes. You know, because it sort of just like clicks your head and you're like, oh, wait a minute. I I remember that first time and it was such a beautiful moment, you know? Yeah, and
1: then you're flooded with the emotions of that moment.
0: Right. And it's it really opens hard to be heart, pissed at really, someone. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, the last thing I wanted to, to ask you about, and, and this is around the idea of narrative building in relationships is the idea, this is kind of a three-part thing of ownership, attachment, and control in relationships, okay. right? Because because this is gonna relate back to like, are we on the same team or are we co- competing against each other, right? Mm-hmm. And so these three things, you know, come up a ton in, in questions I get. And obviously a lot of people are obsessed with attachment theory now. Like one, okay. one of the first things I'll get when someone asks a question, will be like, hey, I'm really avoidant or I'm, I'm really anxious attached. So here's mm-hmm. what's going on. I'm like, that really like just <laughs> already self-defined, you know, that is, this yeah, is who I am.
1: Yeah, it's self I know.
0: It, it's yeah, it's like, it's like, I'm a Scorpio. I'm going to be very vindictive. Yes, you know? exactly. Um, it's very, very Same, kind of, same kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. so self-limiting beliefs is kind of what I'm getting towards, yes, right? Like, yes. like in the idea of like, well, I'm in this relationship, therefore I'm entitled To everything about this person, there's a sense of ownership or therefore, uh, you know, we should be, um, you know, basically know everything about each other to be in a certain sense of control to, to sort of fabricate this sense of safety or security rather than build it internally. Right. Mm -hmm. So for people that are so focused on attachment theory and so focused on self defining uh, themselves as avoidant or fearful, secure, or, or how do you get them to reframe their current outlook on themselves so that way it's more beneficial to them improving as a contributor to a relationship Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. well one of the things that i do is is point is is help them understand the pattern that they and their significant other are caught in Mm -hmm. rather than just blaming the diagnosis, which is not, it's not a diagnosis, but there there's a pattern and it is unique to them. So that would be one of the things. So, cause here's what's so inside every anxiously attached person, there's an avoidant and inside every love avoidant, there is an anxious person. Yeah. So we are a little bit of all of it and so certainly there will be certain t- patterns that present itself more in relationships but it's very common so you mentioned something about power like or control this is how you know your relationship needs help yeah. when there's a power struggle when there's consistent power struggle and what that usually plays out in plays out as is one person starts to withdraw. Maybe that's the person that withdraws the most. The person who's withholding and withdrawing has all the power in the relationship. Because regardless of attachment theory, your partner's withdrawing, it's gonna make you anxious. Yep. And it's gonna make you feel needy. And it's going to make you pursue your partner. Then what happens is then maybe the, your partner starts to then relax and come back a little bit. But you've already learned, not just from them, from your mom, from your dad, from past relationships, that, well, if I'm cold, if I'm a little shut down when they're trying to, let's say, repair with me, non you know non-verbally repair. they're coming back Mm -hmm. i can then make them a little anxious and so i get back my control
0: i feel desired
1: i feel desired again Mm -hmm. and i'm going to make them suffer a little bit because that's how i get i feel desired but ultimately i feel back in control
0: exactly desired in an unhealthy way i'd say
1: yeah, no, it's very unhealthy. But this is an un- this is but this is so. This is a really the the, the chase the, yeah. the runner pursuer dance isn't yeah. just about attachment styles and pathology. It's a dance right. that is done often mm-hmm. in relationships, and it has to be addressed because it is looking at the relationship from it's it, from the perspective of power and control. Yeah. as opposed to communication. No one in a relationship, two people in a relationship, the playing field should always be even. It's very, very, very important that one person, it doesn't mean that one person doesn't sometimes lead and the other person follows, but that's 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 the collaboration. That's like an agreement. Yeah. But you can't have one person here and one person here, one person chasing and and back and forth. So I'm yeah. kind of answering your question and in a roundabout way by saying, if someone is coming to me with that, I'm trying to then explore. um, I have to be the detective Mm -hmm. and to dig and to figure out what's really underneath this all. And then to point out to them what the real pattern is and where, and what's, what's why that is happening so that they Mm -hmm. can start to look at the relationship much more holistically and it's part of like a bigger pie rather than very narrowly focused, which is, well, I have anxious attachment. So this is the problem. Yeah. Does that answer your question somewhat, I hope?
0: No, I think it does um, completely. And it's hard. You know, these, these are questions are very open-ended and it's so yeah. dependent on, on the specific situation. But I think as a culture, a lot of us who have been in relationships, lost love, been in, or uh, experienced experience divorce, you know, we can relate toward this um, this sort of push and pull dynamic, right? This uh, um, unhealthy expectation dynamic where there's sort of a runner, like you said, and a pursuer, right? And oftentimes those roles flip back and forth. Like one person oh, they, isn't they, always that's an anxious what person. Saying.
1: They flip back and forth and there's right. so much conditioning involved it, in that. I mean, there's and so it's, much.
0: Right, it, it creates this volatile cycle that it is bound for implosion at some point or, or bound well, for it's depression. it's the definition
1: really of an unhealthy relationship is, is that right. persistent presence of that kind of power struggle
0: 100 agree and i think for for people that are aware of that or i mean because it's really hard to change it if one person's not aware right because yeah. there's certainly a lot of people that are extremely in their extremely avoidant tendencies or shimation and they're just not aware and and you know it's kind of like well they don't think their shit stinks and so they, they can't see it right but for the people right. that are aware how do you stop it you know like how do you like we got to stop well, doing you this. Stop,
1: because you first stop by changing your own behavior and never underestimate the potential huge power that changing your own behavior could have in a relationship because you can't control your partner, but you certainly can influence them. And the mm-hmm. fastest way to influence your partner is by changing your own behavior. So the first thing to do is to stop the, the game that you're playing. Stop playing the game. Step out of that ring entirely. So if someone is withdrawing, instead of chasing, you just say, I noticed that you are withdrawing. You must feel really overwhelmed. Um, Let me know when you're free to talk. And then you go figure out how to make yourself happy outside of the relationship to the best of your ability. You can only make yourself so happy when your relationship Mm -hmm. is struggling. Because when your relationship is struggling, it's very hard to not struggle elsewhere. Um, if it's consistent and you are, you're with someone who's constantly shutting down, constantly withdrawing, I mean, hasn't done the work, you put your foot down and say, this, this has, this has got to end. I'm no longer. So, you know, sometimes it's about like, you do you, I'm not going to chase you. I'm here when you're ready to have a talk. Sometimes it's, I will not tolerate this anymore. You go do you, I'm going to take some space now and then we need to talk about it. So self-assertion comes in, in many different ways. Um, It comes from, okay, I feel the need to withdraw and to flee. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that right now. I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to try to take back control by doing that thing that I always do that mom always did or dad always did or i learned this i'm not going to do that anymore so people get very obsessed with well they're not doing the work so why i well, why should i do the work forget no. about them for a moment you do the work you change your behavior you be responsible for you don't 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 disempower yourself by saying i'm not going to do it because then they're not doing it because mm-hmm. because first of all, at best, you will influence the relationship and break a major pattern. And even if the relationship doesn't work out, at least you can say, hey, I, whoa, I did that. I can pat right. myself on the back for that. I'm proud of that. That was good. And to bring this full circle to so the original question is when you can say, I've done the work. I've I figured out what their needs are. I'm meeting their needs too. I've asserted myself where I've been a doormat or I've broken my pattern. I've really done it. They're just, you know, and I've given it a solid three months of doing this. You know, for, I'm just using that as an example. Hmm. They're just not doing it. Then that's an answer for you. Then nice. there's a real answer for you. Like, I'm done. I can wipe my hands of this now. Right.
0: I, I completely agree. I think that that's sort of where I was alluding to with like how you decide whether to stay or go. Mm-hmm. If you have done all of that and the other person either through lack of awareness or just through lack of will yes. is not doing their part, that is where you have a decision to make, right? Absolutely. And and I think that's where it's actually healthy to probably I think end the decision's something. been
1: made for you in many ways. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Right,
0: totally. No, no. I mean, and, and it's 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 hard, right? Because like, I always hesitate to tell people like, "Well, you should be, leave." But I, I like to ask them like, you know, how much longer can you stay in a relationship like this where your needs are not being met, but you're doing everything possible to work on your yes. own blind spots and your own self? Yes. You know, you deserve yeah. to be met where yes. you are. Absolutely, right?
1: absolutely. But first, because usually people come to, should I leave or should I should I stay or should I go? And they come, they arrive to that that question, or they come, they arrive to that internal conflict before they've actually done the necessary self-examination. And I think that it's worth it if it's an important relationship to you to really do the work yourself, to see if there can be influence to change your patterns. And then if they don't meet you, it's really, then I think that the answer is quite simple. Some people are just takers. Some people are just
0: Some people are. And as as a wise woman once said on Instagram, if you are a giver, find another giver to love. And I love (laughs) that quote. Um, Jillian, thank you so much, my friend. It's always... An honor to share some time with you. I feel very grateful. I know a lot of people aren't able to do this. Everyone wants a, an hour, of, uh, you know, a Zoom conversation with with Jillian Turecki. Uh, thank you so much for for coming back on the show, getting in at round two. I think we we talked about a lot of very valuable things. Hopefully, people dig this one.
1: Yes, thank you so much. I feel very grateful too. So I appreciate it.
0: You bet. And before I let you go, what, what's going on in your line of work right now? Do you have any new courses coming out? Are you working on a book? Like what's going on? Yeah,
1: there's just a lot going on. Honestly, I am working on a book, um, nuts in the works. Uh, I actually have a podcast coming out at the end of the summer that was, that's in collaboration with this company Q code. And, um, more immediately I'm working on a, uh, a program that's going to be almost like a live virtual retreat for single people and how to date better and how to find that person. So lots of stuff cooking up.
0: And I'll, I'll be sure to tune in. Let me know when it comes out. I'm happy to promote yes. it, but I'm sure everyone listening already follows you. So stay tuned for, for Jillian's podcast. I'll, we'll all be excited to to listen to that.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for coming back on the show Jillian. So so grateful for all your all your wisdom and just to to sit in your energy and to to have a really warm conversation for an hour. Likewise. I really want to ask all of you listeners out there, if you could take a couple seconds, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star written review that really helps get the podcast in more eyes, in more ears, um, and just really helps podcasts grow in in every aspect possible. So um, I would really appreciate it if you could pause it, go leave us a five-star written review on Apple, subscribe on Apple and Spotify Podcasts, and turn notifications on so you get notified whenever we launch a new episode.